the sweet water retreat, and our reading today is Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. And we desire each one of you to show that the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of, the, of those who, fit, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. Thank you, Allie. You can be seated. Um, we'll dismiss our school-age kids. I guess, yeah, they're headed to the back. Um, get all up in my fields this morning watching our teenagers here and worship and I just want to echo the truth of that song that um, we live in a broken world and life's going to come at you pretty hard uh, teenagers and just remember that he will not fail you um, he won't, he won't, he won't. Before I uh, jump in Hebrews 6, a couple things. Um, you know, uh, Reynolds, the only problem with uh, the, the logo is that I've never wanted a box of cereal so much in my life. Like, that's what I'm having for lunch. That's, yeah, I just staring at all the backs of them like, man, you know what? Fruity Pebbles would be great right now. Um... I want to remind you a couple of things. I think the next picture I have is just uh, just from the back as we were worshiping and getting ready to start D now. Room full of uh, kiddos, and um, I'm just uh, excited about the future. I'm excited about what um, what God has for us, what this is going to look like. Um, when you came in, uh, I mean, we couldn't fit any more students in that room. So you know, last year we had to knock out a wall. This time, there's no more walls to knock out. So, uh, I mean, unless you just, and it's not our building anyway, you'd have to like knock the exterior wall out or something. So uh, prayerfully, next week we'll be in our, uh, I mean, next year we'll be in our new location. And I just want to give you a quick update on that. You got a couple things when you came in. Uh, one is part of our above and beyond. This is just a breakdown. We finally kind of narrowed some of the costs down. And I know we've got friends and family in the room. And if there's one of those things that you're like, man, I would love to take care of that. You can see a couple things already checked off that list. People in our church, like, I want to take care of this. I want to take care of this. So um, that's what, uh, that's what this is. Uh, we do have a big uh, celebration offering coming up at the end of March. Uh, a couple other good things is we got our, our we passed our, uh, we got our fire marshal stamp this week, which is amazing. Uh, you have no idea how exciting that is. Uh, we have been trying and trying and trying for about three months to get this thing um, through, trying to rehab a building that was built in the 70s and anyway, the whole thing. So that's exciting, which means we're pretty close. We've got two more green lights we've got to get, um, and then we can actually start the process. We're hoping to be in there um, soon, you know, maybe the first uh, week of, the, of, of June. That's what we're praying towards. Uh, another thing that you don't have in your uh, um, packet, but it is outside, is our Faithful 40. And this was designed for, we've got a lot of friends uh, outside of our church. They live in other places, but they support our church. And uh, we've got people, grandparents and uncles and those kind of things. And this is just a list of people outside of our church who want to also give towards this next uh, facility, towards a facility that we're going to use to reach um, prayerfully the next generation. So we're excited about all of those things. Let's jump into the text. Uh, Hebrews 6. In verse 11, and we desire, as Ali read a minute ago, each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. 
so that you may not be sluggish. Maybe your translation says lazy, so you may not be lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, patience inherit the promises. I was preaching last week at uh, one of our partner churches over in Dallas, and I told them when I got up, hey, I'm going to predict who's going to win the big Super Bowl game tonight, and the winner of that game is going to be the people um, who have the better game plan. Because when you get to that level, you're both equal talent probably. Uh, You've beat out all the other teams. You're at the big show. You're in the big game. And now it's time to see who's going to win. And it's the one with the better game plan. Little did I know that game was going to go into overtime. And the team that had worked through the overtime scenario was the team that actually won. And it's true. The better game plan. Now, I love Disciple Now weekends. If some of you know, I was a youth pastor for over a decade. I've done more disciple nows. Um, and, you know, it was great training ground for ministry for me. Uh, poor Ashley just got drugged to every one of them. Like, let's do another disciple now. We would line disciple now season up every weekend. We were somewhere doing disciple now. I was one of those college students that was like, well, we'll, we'll figure out the academic part of it. We'll get the work done somehow. We're going to do these disciple nows. Most churches paid me nothing. And I remember at Trinity Heights one time, uh, some older fella came up afterwards and put a Chris $100 bill in my hand and thanked me for, you know, helping out. And that changed my life, $100 bill. So I echo what Reynolds said, if you want to bless some of these guys um, that have done all of this. Uh, I loved uh, youth ministry, everything but the late nights and the girl drama. Uh, everything else was good. I still, it still exists. The late nights and the girl drama still happening. Um, that's a Reynolds problem now, not my problem. I still believe that uh, our teenagers are the greatest hope for real revival in our nation. Our church loves the next generation. And we don't love them enough to just entertain them to death. Uh, We want to form them in the ways of Jesus. And parents, we want to help form you in the ways of Jesus so that you can form your kiddos in the ways of Jesus. We want to form them, disciple them, disciple parents to disciple them, ultimately to send them out to be on mission for God for the rest of their lives. But one thing I found, students, I want you to listen to me, students. I know, I know y'all are tired. If, y'all, if someone goes to sleep next to you, just elbow them really hard, right? Um, one thing I know, students, without a real game plan to walk in the ways of Jesus, the cultural riptide of our society is just going to suck you in. You need a real game plan of what it means, of what it looks like in your life tomorrow, what it looks like in your life this afternoon, what it looks like in your life a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, three months from now, years from now, the rest of your life. You need a game plan of what it means to really follow Jesus. And not just you, every adult in this room, that if you're not careful, the culture around us will suck us in to prioritizing what it prioritizes. Or if not that, that we just leave the way of Jesus for the way of the world, we'll just be stuck in just this apathetic malaise and we'll just keep walking and doing life apart from what Jesus is asking us and calling us to do. We'll live a mediocre life and not an abundantly filled life as Jesus has promised us. And that's not just a problem with our students and not just a problem with adults in this room. That was a very same thing that the author of Hebrews is writing to address in chapter 6. So that you would not become lazy or sluggish in the faith, he says. 
And he tells us the two things that we need to incorporate in our following Jesus that would keep us from becoming lazy and apathetic and falling by the wayside. If you read even above that, it's a warning of those people who've tasted and seen and then went their own way anyway. But through faith and patience, you would inherit what has been promised. These are the two aspects of your walk with God and your, it's essential in your lifelong pursuit of Jesus, faith and patience. And if you get these things figure out, figured out, you're going to finish well. You're going to live a life of consequence. You're going to bring many into the kingdom of God with you. You got a game plan for growing your faith and waiting on God. Let me also warn you, this is a lifelong pursuit. This is not something you do for the next 10 years and then you've achieved it. No, the the saints in this room who've been walking with God for 50 years would also attest that this is the same thing that they are incorporating into their walk until they see Jesus face to face. So let's talk about faith. I'm going to kind of preach to the students. Y'all listen in. Students, what is faith? Faith is relatively simple. We're going to look at chapter 11. It's going to describe, it's called the great hall of faith. But faith is relatively simple. It believes that God exists And obeying him is worth it. That's all it is. That's what faith is. It believes that God exists and that obeying him is worth it. Look at verse 6 of chapter 11. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, this is it, this is the definition, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him or those who follow him. It's believing that God exists and obeying him is worth it. Now, for some of you that's like, okay, that's, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. I've used Tim Keller's uh, definition of the four words that he uses to gospel himself. And these are the four ingredients of faith. And so, you know, you make a cake, you look at the back of the box and you need the, uh, you need the flour and the, and the oil and the baking powder um, and the lots of butter or whatever else, the, the ingredients. This, these are the ingredients that make up our faith. So I'm going to spend this morning talking about those. Speaking to the teenagers, adults, you listen in because we need to know this more than ever. First, at its core... Relying, obeying, expecting, and relaxing. Those are the four words we're going to talk about this morning. And I wouldn't encourage you um, because I don't know all your parents really well. But if you were going to tattoo something on your body, this might be it. Something for you to remember all the time. This is, these are the ingredients of faith. Faith at its core is not just intellectual belief, like I believe in God, like I believe in George Washington. No, 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 faith is action. If we flip over, if you're in uh, Hebrews 11, this long list, this great hall of faith, so much of what we learn about uh, faith, we learn from this chapter. These are the very people that chapter six is pointing towards. He says, I want you to imitate these people who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. These are the people that he's pointing to. I want you to look at them and there's a long list of people who have done this. Faith at first, the first word is relying on God or relying on the promises of God. Relying means that you're going to put your weight on it. I've used this illustration before. I've only gone rappelling a few times. Bodies like mine are not meant to go off the back of cliffs ever. But I remember 
taking kids to youth camp one time and they had this uh, rappelling thing set up and uh, we go up there and a couple college students are going over all the safety things and I mean they are diligent about it and they've got you wearing the helmet and they're talking about the latches and the carabiners and the ropes and there you're doing a check and a double check and a triple check and I'm like let's get past this already and just go off the back of this cliff this is about to be amazing we'd hiked up to the cliff they're doing the thing and a couple people had gone before me and I laughed at them because they were terrible at this. Now, I had never done this before, but I fancied myself as someone who could get down this thing pretty quickly. And I got on the, got the rope and I'm tied off up there and I go to the cliff and I start leaning over. And then your body does this weird thing. If you've ever done rappelling, it just starts shaking uncontrollably. It's just so weird. So you're holding the thing. All my teenagers are up there. They're laughing at me just like I had laughed at them. My body's just shaking. It's all fine until you go over the back of the cliff and you've got to put your faith in the rope. Faith is not believing the rope will hold you. Faith is placing your weight on the rope. And what was probably a 20-foot drop looked like 200 feet or more, a thousand feet even it could have been at that point. And I finally made it down that thing. But I think it gives us such a great picture of what faith is. T teenagers, faith is not just believing that God exists. Faith is not even just intellectual belief that there's a God up there that made you. No, faith is actually trusting in his promises. Faith is standing for him when your school buddies don't. Faith is forgiving others when they don't deserve to be forgiven. That's what faith is. It's relying. If we look over at Hebrews 11, if, if you're there, I'm just going to, this is not on the screen. I just want to read some of this. This is just it's so encouraging. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice to God more acceptable than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he would not see death. Verse 6, without faith, this is our passage, it's impossible to please God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events of the unseen. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a certain place, on and on we could keep going. And all of these words are action words. They're presented in terms of action. Noah built and Abraham left and Jacob blessed and Joseph instructed and Moses chose and Joshua fought. Faith is an action word. It's synonymous with action. Apart from action, there is no faith because faith does not exist apart from action. Faith is a conviction expressed through a choice of placing your weight on who God says he is. Faith shows up in our next word, not just relying to place our weight on, but obeying. That's when you fall back over the cliff. Obedience is not something you do better when you're a better Christian once you have faith. No, the two go together. It's relying and obeying. Faith is not believing, again, the rope's going to hold you. Faith is leaning back on that rope. There is no faith apart from obedience. Faith is belief in action. This is how the Christian life works, students. 
exercising faith in God that activates the power of God and brings about a supernatural work. Now, this is, this is the equation. Faith, exercising faith in God. God gives us the faith in the first place. We put that faith to work by trusting him. It somehow activates the power of God in our lives. And that results in the supernatural work of God in the natural. This is the list of the examples of you in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. God said, Abraham, I've got you a place. This is what we call the promised land. I've got you a place. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, again, look at these action words, he went to live in this land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in this same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Do you see what he's doing here? Faith in God activates the power of God that brings about the supernatural work of God in, her, in our lives. Then in verse 11, we see the same thing about Sarah. Sarah, by faith, Sarah, verse 11, received the power to conceive even though she was past the age since she considered him to be faithful who had made the promise. You see this? She believed. She received the power of God at work in her life, and then she conceived to give birth. And it says that logically she was too old to give birth. If you read the whole text, it says Abraham was as good as dead. A little more gently with Sarah here, she was past the age. She believed, received the power of God, and the supernatural happened in her life. What brings us to the third point. We're relying, we're placing our, our faith on, we're obeying, we're leaning back on that rope and trusting that the God who promised that he would be with us and all the promises of God throughout all of scripture, yes and amen in Jesus, right? So we're, we're, we're relying and we're obeying and then the next step, we're actually expecting God to do it. Brings us to the third word, expecting Verse 32, if you want to skip down a little bit. Again, long list, encouraging chapter for you to read. And what more shall I say, the author of Hebrews says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith, through faith, you might underline in your Bible, who through faith, these were not experts. These were not the overly gifted. As a matter of fact, normally God chose the people who who in their own natural physical realm had no chance at doing this. And yet through faith, they conquered kingdoms and they enforced justice and they obtained promises and they stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire and they escaped the edge of the sword and they were made strong out of weakness and they became mighty in war and they put foreign armies to flight. This incredible list. Sometimes the activation of God's power in our lives by faith, it brings about supernatural provision in the faith of trial. This is the way faith works. This is the way faith worked in the scriptures. This is the way that God desires to work in our lives by faith even right now. That we would believe, we would receive, and we would uh, see God do a supernatural work of deliverance. Now, adults, maybe you can think through this. When you are up against the wall, 
when there was no way that God, there was no way you could get out of this pickle unless God came through and you believed and you prayed and you received the faith in God to actually continue trusting him despite the circumstances and then out pops supernatural provision. God actually came through for you. And you can look back over your life and you can just be filled with thankfulness and gratitude. That's why I love the song we sing, Gratitude. Because it gives us a chance to look back at the faithfulness of God again and again. Believed, received, supernatural work happened. Look at, he mentions in verse 29, they quenched the power of fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them who wouldn't bow down to the king? Rakshak and Benny for the VeggieTale people out there, Right? And they wouldn't bow down to the king. And he's like, well, I'm going to put you in the fire. And they say, listen, our God's going to come through. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to that thing. And sure enough, he throws them in the fire. And then he goes to check on them. And there's a fourth one in the fire standing with them. How incredible is that? They place their faith in God. They received the power of God to stand in the midst of severe difficulty. And they saw the supernatural power of God quench the fiery furnace around them. This is how faith works. They expected God to do it. Look at verse 33. Some escaped the edge of the sword. He's talking about Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah, all threatened by a king with death. And God showed up and God protected them and God brought them supernatural provision. Their faith brought about a miracle. And this is what faith does. It expects great things from a great God. It is leaning back on the rope. It is acting on the character and promises of God, no matter what it looks like around us. Friends, what great things are you expecting from God? Right now. Trusting him to bring into your reality You're believing God for a demonstration of his power to bring about unusual supernatural provision in your life. For some of you, maybe it's healing. You've been walking through a a, a litany of, of, of bad reports from the doctor and they can't seem to figure it out and you're praying right now for healing. Some of you, it's a job. You're out of work and you need to find work quick. Others have a financial crisis and, and you don't know how you're going you're gonna to pay for rent or you're going to make that payment. And you're, you're, you're by faith right now, you're believing and you're receiving power to stand in the midst of this difficulty. And just around the corner could be this radical supernatural provision for you. Maybe it's a wayward child, someone you love, part of your family, not walking with Jesus. They're not tasting and seeing and it's ripping you apart as a parent and you're listening to the voice of the enemy and you're, 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 you're wallowing in shame and guilt because of things you, you could have done. Maybe that's, that's where you're at. Friends, keep praying, believing and receiving and standing on the promises of God that he's going to bring about a supernatural work in your kid's life. Maybe for others of you, it's a friend who's lost. And they don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. And, and you're, you're praying for them. You're praying God would change their heart. It would change their mind. You're, you're, you're praying for this very thing. I wonder if God, did on, if God only did for you according to your faith, what would you be experiencing right now in life? Where might God be bringing about supernatural provision? You can't see it. It looks impossible. You're depending and asking and begging and pleading God to bring it into your reality, this supernatural provision. 
I remember when I was 16 and I went to a Christian school. Um, it's no longer in existence. I went to a Christian school and this is my first year there. I was a junior in high school and just like all the juniors in high school and I'm at a new school, I had to show everybody how cool I was and cool looked a little different than it does now, but whatever it did, I was trying to, I was trying to be cool and I was trying to impress them. And some of you know my stories about selling fake watches out of the back of the car. I love money because money could buy me cool things and then I could be cool. And so I did all these things. I mean, you know, if you, any of you meet anyone that knew me in high school, they were like, man, that dude was a hustler. I mean, I had the pins and the purses and the watches. It was like little Chinatown in North Shreveport. You could just open up the back of the trunk. What, 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 what do you need? My, in the midst of that, we had a spiritual emphasis week. And I remember being in the gymnasium. Um, and at a Christian school, spiritual emphasis week is like just such a dread because um, you have to go. And they normally bring old preachers from other places to come and tell you how to live right. And you're like, well, if I'm going to become like him, I don't want to live right, right? That's the, that's the thing. I think most of us would rather be doing math is all I'm saying. And I remember going through that whole week and just like trying to be cool. And, you know, I was raised in Christian parents and in a Christian home. And I just thought I was too cool for that, I think, at that moment. And I don't remember anything that was said. But I remember the Holy Spirit welling up in my heart as a 16-year-old. I remember the only thing that that speaker said is a Spurgeon quote that I have, the world has yet to see a man fully consecrated to God. And I remember it struck my heart. And in accordance, the leading of the Holy Spirit, I said, God, make me that man. And I felt, you know, the Holy Spirit can be so bossy sometimes. I just felt like he's like, you need to go down and pray. There was no altar. It was just the thing on the gym floor. We were in the bleachers. And I was like, Lord, I cannot go down there. I'm new at this school. These people just think, finally think I'm cool. I'm not going to be the guy that goes. You know, just I couldn't, couldn't not go. And I remember going down there, falling to my knees and saying the fastest little prayer and trying to get up. And I couldn't get up. And God wrecked my heart. And I began weeping on that floor with this prayer, God, I want to be your man. I want to be fully consecrated to you. And my life since then has not been up and to the right, but can I promise you something? Any fruit that has ever been seen in my life or in this church started at that moment as a 16-year-old. When I began to weep in front of people, I'm sure were laughing at me because we were laughing at the other people just the day before. And God began to do a work in my heart. And God began to do a work in my class. And me and a couple buddies decided we were going to get together early in the morning before school started. And we were going to be praying over that campus. And we were going to take time at noon to walk around the campus. And we were going to start Bible studies after school. And one by one, God began to move some things in response to prayer. Relying, obeying, expecting. Now, students, you have hundreds of opportunities every day. Those of you that are um, homeschooled, you have 
dozens of opportunities of you every day, neighbors around you. You've got people everywhere around you that are waiting on you to be God's man, that are waiting on you to be God's daughter, that are waiting on you to not follow the status quo, but to take a step in. And this is, this is the point that the author of Hebrews is making. This is the point that Jesus made. We're walking through the gospel of Mark as a church, and we're about to get there, and I can't wait to get there. And in Mark 5, there's a woman who's, who has an issue of blood. She's been bleeding most of over a decade. She's just been bleeding, and because of that, she can't get, go to worship. She can't really even be inside the city gates because by the rules, she was unclean, so she's not with her family. She's not pursuing her goals or dreams, and she's going to all the doctor's that the gospels tell us and none can do it and Jesus is coming into town and she thinks if I can just grab on to if I can just touch Jesus faith she believed and she received and Jesus healed her in verse 34 it says of, of Mark 5 and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease Incredible story. God's supernatural provision, says there in the text, because of her faith, the power of God was accessed and she got healed. And the next chapter we go over in and, and Mark chapter 6, and Jesus goes to his ho own hometown, and it says they didn't believe in him, and they didn't have faith, so he could only do a few miracles here and there. He was astonished at their lack of faith, and many were not healed because of the lack of faith. They did not believe and receive and see supernatural power because they didn't believe. They never relied on him. How tragic, friends, would it be for the people of God in this very room to miss out on the mighty things of God because we're not expecting him to do anything. We've just said, you know what, life's going to be hard and terrible and we're just going to set our sights low and we're just going to try to get through this so that one day the promise of heaven will be real to us. That is not the life that Jesus wants for you. That's, he says that he came to give you abundant life, overflowing life, that, that the well would be inside of you that would cause living waters to flow out of you as you believed and trusted in him. Sometimes the activation of God's power in our lives bring about supernatural provision. It changes the situation. And if you're up against the wall, if you're walking through darkness and difficulty and discouragement, pray and expect God. He can do it. But it would be wrong to end the sermon there. First part of that text, it just gets you amped up, doesn't it? Shutting the mouths of lions and walking through fire and turning armies around. You can see the readers getting amped up too, right? When crisis comes, this is how we're going to do it. There's a way to walk through it with faith, like Abraham and Moses and Rahab and David and Gideon and on and on. 18 people at list. Fourth point, ingredients of faith. Relax, it's not up to you. Relax, it's not dependent upon you. 
You serve a God who knows everything and who loves you perfectly and he has promised that he's going to take even the things that the enemy means for evil and he's going to use every pain and every tear and every disappointment and every frustration. He's going to take all those things and he's going to use them for his glory and for your good. He has promised that. That's a promise of God. So friends, you can relax. This is what faith does. It trusts and obeys and expects and relaxes. And that's hard to do because God rarely works on your timetable. You know the greatest enemy we face to relaxing in the goodness of God is fear. It just grips us at every corner. Fear of the diagnosis, fear of the unreconciled friendship, the fear of man, the greatest enemy is fear. See, the other thing that Hebrews 6 says, can you put that scripture back on there? Through faith and patience. Friends, faith is patient. Here's the rest of the passage starting in verse 35. After these 18 people that saw God miraculously work, some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned and sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. Well, which group you want to be in? The first group that shut the mouths of lions or the ones here that are wearing sheepskin? We want to be in group number one. But you don't get to choose. See, the thing that both of these groups have in common is they all believe the word of God and they risk everything on it. Let me say this clearly, students. If you require earthly validation of your faith, you're not going to make it. Because you don't get heaven now. The life of faith requires a confidence in a God you can't see and promises you can't always feel. And sometimes you stand along with seemingly the whole world against you. So that's the question, really, if you have faith is, can you lean back on the promises of God when he doesn't feel close? Can you risk it all on what is invisible? See, there's a reason that he puts faith and patience Patience, sometimes the activation of God's power in our lives by faith brings about supernatural work, supernatural deliverance, and sometimes, conversely, it brings about supernatural perseverance. It's still a work of God's power. When you're in the middle of a trial and you ask by faith, and instead of God changing the situation, sometimes he gives you supernatural perseverance to walk through the situation. All of those, he says, did not see deliverance in this life, but certainly embraced it in the next. And these people didn't suffer because such terrible things because of their lack of faith. It was actually because of their faith. Many of them, <clears throat> given a choice and a chance to deny Christ, go back to normal living, but because they chose to stand in their faith, 
resting on the promises of God, it made their situation worse. They're suffering because of their enduring faith. So we got two scenarios. Sometimes we believe and we ask and we receive the supernatural deliverance. And God will do that and he still does that and he's done that in my life. He wants to do it in your life. But sometimes we pray the same prayer with the same kind of faith and the same kind of expectation and God doesn't bring deliverance. Instead, he gives us perseverance, both an act of God. Both are testimonies that need to be shared in this very church. We've been praying for our friend Melissa Richardson who's had cancer for the second time. And in November, I showed a picture of them and they helped us start the church and they live in Alabama now. We were praying and praying and praying for Mel that God would heal her. And she went to the doctors and doctors said, nope, you need to get your affairs in order. Probably you're just not gonna make it. This is not gonna turn out well for you. Get your affairs in order. And we all started praying. We prayed in here and we had the, the 24 hours of prayer. It's kind of right around the same time. We were praying and praying and praying. And Dave and I got to go eat breakfast with her two weeks ago. And the doctors are astonished that the cancer has gone away. She, she prayed and she believed and she just laid back on that rope and trusted the promises of God. And God showed up and he healed her. And yet there's some of you maybe who are walking through a cancer diagnosis and you've got the same faith and the same God and the same promises and you've prayed and he's not healed you yet. Friends, that does not mean that God's asleep at the wheel. That does not mean that God's not good and he doesn't care for you. Sometimes the way that he moves in our lives instead of bringing supernatural provision is he gives us supernatural perseverance. And I tell you that to these students up here so that you will know that joy is possible even within disappointment. We have to have realistic expectations of living in a broken world where people afflict us and sickness assails us and suffering surrounds us. It just seems to be everywhere. We're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. We are seeing God work and little glimpses of heaven touching earth even now through your lives. But we live in a broken and a painful world. Many of us, even in this room, have tasted way too much salt in your tears. And God has come through not by bringing deliverance, but by bringing perseverance. He's given you joyful endurance in the midst of the hardest of circumstances. This is the beauty of that song, that Jesus won't fail you. It does not mean that you won't go through difficulty. It means that anything you will ever walk through, he'll walk through it with you. And he will sustain you. The greatest gift is the presence of God in the midst of difficulty. So when the day is dark and the outlook is bleak, you can still rejoice that God has appointed all things for his purposes. And he's going to bring his promises to pass. And he can mend what has been broken. And he can turn your tragedy into triumph. And the darkest hour of the night, can you get up with those that this very chapter talks about, that the world was not worthy of them. That you can walk and sing hymns and have a, a walk in joy and hope because you know that dawn is coming. When the cancer's not in remission and the family's not holding together and, and when your prime marriage age is over or you can't have kids like you would want to, when the spouse isn't coming back, when the finances are still just a train wreck, 
you can still lean back on the promises of God and he promises he will walk with you through what the enemy means for evil. And he will take that no matter how painful and he will use it for your good. The truth is your ability to be joyful in all things is the true measure of your faith. What if you have to wait like Jacob and Joseph did? Decades and decades of waiting so much waiting that they had to tell their kids on their deathbed, hey, I'm not going to make it see the promised land. So when you finally do get in the promised land, go dig up my bones and bring it to the promised land. Waiting so hard for us, isn't it? And so necessary to strengthen our faith. What if everyone around you thinks you're crazy like the people did in the days of Noah when he was building a boat in the middle of a desert? What if people think you're crazy like they did of Abraham when he's leaving a place that he knows to a place that he doesn't know? What if they think you're crazy like Zachariah who says that Elizabeth is going to actually have a baby? What if everybody thinks you're crazy like they did of Joseph and Mary or the three Israelites in the fire or Daniel in the den? What if they think you're crazy? They're probably going to think you're crazy. Do you trust that God will provide for you in the impossible situations when you are pursuing his will? Like Israel at the Red Sea or marching around Jericho. I feel this as a parent. God, how can I raise my kids in righteousness in this kind of world? Or how scared and panicky do I get that God won't provide for me? reveals how little faith I actually have in the moment that I'm not really relying and obeying and expecting and relaxing. I'm convinced of this. Part of the next step for you today, God's moving. He's speaking to your heart. Every one of us should take some sort of step today. For some of you in this room, I'm convinced that it's God speaking to your heart to give up the lucrative career that's in front of you to go and, and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you're having a crisis of belief right now of do I trust him or don't I trust him? And some of you, God's moving in your heart that so some families in here that you should step into uh, orphan care, that you should sign up for, uh, uh, you know, foster care training, that you should, God's moving in your heart to go uh, adopt a kid from somewhere. And he's been moving and he's been saying, and you're just so hesitant to lean back on the rope. And because of it, you're not seeing God work. And you're saying, I haven't heard God's voice in a really long time, Pastor. It's, well, it's because you're not following him. And some in this room to figure out how to re-engineer your career so it's used for the purposes of God. That you're not there to be an architect. You're there to be a beacon of hope in a very dark place while you do architecture. Maybe God's telling you to give away a lot of money. Maybe God's telling you to reorganize your life. Maybe God's telling you to join a church or serve a team. Friends, take your next step. Students. What's it going to take for God to burden your heart to own the spiritual conditions of your schools? What's it going to take? You're not there to learn algebra. I mean, learn algebra. Do really good in algebra. You're there to be a gospel outpost everywhere you go, every class, every team. That's why you're there. God placed you there for that purpose. 
God in heaven's like, I've got all this love that I want to share with all these people in Benton and Bossier and Shreveport, and I don't know how I'm going to get it to them. Oh, I do know. These students with these yellow shirts on. I'm going to radically change their lives, and then I'm going to send them out like missionaries into their local schools. And all his parents would be like, yeah, that's what they're there for. And parents, that's what you're there for. In your neighborhood, in your career. What step is God asking you to take? I'm going to invite the band back up. And I just want us to hear from the Holy Spirit what step he wants you to take. Some of you I know are from other churches and you're not obligated to do anything. I'm not asking anything of you. Thank you for support and sending your kid to Disciple Now this weekend. We had a great time. But I don't hurt it, and I don't think it would hurt all of us to just say, God, speak to me. And just right where you're at, students and adults and anyone in this room, just open your heart and your ears. Say, God, speak to me. For some of you, the step today is going to be to rely on him. You've been playing religious games a long time, and today's the day that you're going to cross the finish line and trust him, begin relying on him, believing the gospel. And I pray you would take that step today. Some of you, it's obedience. Maybe you say you're a man or woman of faith, but you need to put your faith in action today. Maybe it's expecting. Maybe you prayed for something and God didn't come through, and now you're so jaded and so cynical that God still wants to work and do supernatural things in your life. I dare you to pray it again. Maybe it's relax. Listen, you do all that you can do, and then you just wait on the Lord. I'm going to give you some time right there where you're at just to pray. And the band's going to just uh, play softly behind me. And I just want you to get some time just alone with God. Would you just get alone with God? God, we've had a lot of fun this weekend. And we've jumped in freezing cold pools and uh, sped all across Bozier City and scavenger hunts. And God, very little sleep, some of us. All for this moment where you're inviting us to say yes to you. team's going to be in the back if you need to go pray with someone. We're going to sing just one short song and just give you time. If you need to pray with someone, if you want to get on your knees right where you're at, if you want to pray with someone else, students, maybe you want to pray with a friend, that you too would stand for the things of God in your schools. Just give you opportunity right there to pray. and You can stand and worship if you want, however whoever wants to do it. team's in the back. And then I'm going to come right back up and lead us into one other thing before we're done. Whatever God puts in your heart, take a step. <laughs>